Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for December 28th, 2017. Finally, we are back from holiday vacation. Uh, this is Peter Serta, and joining me on today's podcast are... Uh, Jacob Hall. Ben Pearson. Brad Oman. Hi, Chen Bui. Chris Evangelista. So the entire Slash uh, Film team, or the core team, is here uh, today, and news is still slow, so we're, we're going to be talking about what we saw and did over the holidays and our favorite Christmas gifts, but before we get to that, we had a couple of emails um, that I wanted to read in uh, reaction to our holiday special, uh, where we talked about our favorite Christmas movies. Uh, Hayden writes in that uh, he he's arguing that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Uh, quote: If you break up the plot, if you break the plot down, it's the typical Christmas story: a distant father who has to go on in an adventure to rekindle the relationship with his family. I think all the Christmas movies have that same exact plot device. Also, it's important to say that it takes place on Christmas Eve because police actively would be down. If It's a Wonderful Life counts, why, which it should, then die, die Hard should as well. A very massive chunk of the film doesn't even take place on Christmas. So, uh, Jacob, you, you are the one person in, on the staff that is vehemently against Die Hard as a Christmas movie. What, why is Hayden wrong? I'm sure Hayden is a very nice person, and this is a very well-written email. Uh, so, Hayden, when I say you're wrong, you know, I say it with the, with respect. The way I respect a, a great enemy as opposed to an enemy I defeat instantly. Um, now, when it, in all seriousness, I, I, I get this argument. Um, and I I'm, I don't want to make a huge deal out of this because I don't want to ruin anybody's parade. I just feel like It's a Wonderful Life taps into the emotions and themes that swirl around the holiday season. Um, the way we reflect on ourselves and the way we take into account our lives as we approach a new year and take stock of everything we've done, whether it be that day, that week, that month, that year, or that lifetime, where Die Hard is just still a cool, the greatest action movie of all time. And that's fine. It just, it's just set of Christmas. And I don't think it taps into those themes in any way other than just being about a family, most of whom aren't in the movie very much at all. So 
it's fine. It's a really good email, Hayden. Thank you. I, I respect that. You're allowed to be right. I'm allowed to be wrong in your eyes. It's great. Cool. Right, Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, and Leanne R. from Los Angeles writes in that the Rankin-Bass Christmas special should have been on our list, which um, which I agree. Yeah, I, those, those are great TV specials. And we, we, we did mention some other TV specials like uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol and uh, A Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, she also brings up the Santa Claus, which wouldn't have been on any of my list, uh, but I'm not sure about you guys. And uh, Nora Efron's uh, Sleepless in Seattle and uh, You've Got Mail, which almost made my list. I, I actually have a soft spot for You've Got Mail, uh, is dated as that is. But uh, you can read our whole email in the show notes. But I just wanted to bring up those because uh, when, when you guys write insightful emails, I, you know, I like to bring it up on the show. But uh, let's... Uh, Let's get into what we've been doing over the holidays. Jacob, what have you been up to? Well, I've been traveling all over the state of Texas. San Antonio for my family, Dallas for my wife's family. So I actually haven't had as much time to do as much of anything as I would like to. I've been in cars and I've been doing social obligations and I've been trying to escape from social obligations by looking at my phone in other rooms. So while everyone else has things I've been catching up with, uh, that are actually probably a bit more interesting than mine. Uh, mine have mostly been just catching up and finishing up on things that I've already mentioned in the podcast before. I finished season two of Ultimate Beastmaster, and I know someone else has watched it, so I'll wait a little bit to talk about that in detail. Season two is really fun. It's more of the same thing as season one. It's probably the best physical competition reality show I've ever seen, and I dig it for reasons beyond watching strong people do strong things, but I'll get to that later. But I also caught up, uh, finished American Vandal, which we've talked about in the show before. Netflix's fake documentary series about a high school student who uh, supposedly vandalizes teachers' cars, but it's presented in a very straight-faced parody of of uh, serial-esque true crime stories, documentaries. And it's really good, and it's really funny, and it has a left-field turn about three-quarters of the way through that redefines what it is. It makes it really a really powerful portrait of being young in the year 2017, and I was not expecting it to hit me as hard as it did, and it really did. Uh, I got around to seeing The Shape of Water, finally, Guillermo del Toro's uh, melodrama, fairy tale, horror story that I found incredibly moving, incredibly wonderful. It's an, um, we're publishing our top 10 movies of the year lists uh, next week on Slash Film. This is on the top 10. I'm not sure where it falls yet, but no one makes movies like del Toro, and it's just this, it's a magical movie, and I think we throw around the word magical a lot, Whatever time something delights us, but he has a old school sense of storytelling that the it feels like it's been torn from another time. Oh, when, it, it feels it, like a modern classic already. Just yeah. after seeing it, yeah. And uh, we've talked about the movie before, and we'll talk about it more next week as we discuss best of the year stuff. So I don't want to talk too much, but don't take your mom, but take everybody else. It's a really, really good movie. And it, it goes in way I said this, I said this on Twitter in a more in a more crass way, but this is what the Dark Universe should have been. They should, Dark Universe instead of going hundred million dollars on a mummy movie starring Tom Cruise, they should have gave Gilmore Totoro twenty million to make these really strange, specific, personal horror tales that have elements we've never seen before. I, I think that's how you want to approach monsters. By the uh, way, th th in this, this day is and age. this is probably the most expensive looking twenty million dollar film I've ever seen. It looks great. And we have an article about this going up on, on the site, uh, 
written by Ben uh, Pearson. Hi, Ben, you're here. You hey. to ben. <laughs> <laughs> that goes into uh, how he managed to save that money in Cut Corners, and I recommend you read that. We'll put that in the show notes. And finally, I played a bunch of games. I played more Wolfenstein 2, which I discussed on the podcast a little while back, the first-person shooter video game set in alternate reality 1960s where the Nazis won World War II. And I dwelled on the politics of the game last time I spoke about it, because the movie, it's it's... It's a very politically motivated game. It has a perspective. It hates Nazis. I think we can all agree. Uh, but once it reaches a halfway point, it still maintains that political perspective, but starts going bonkers. It goes insane in ways I was not expecting. So even though out the gameplay is great, the controls are a little sticky. I do not like them. But it is by far the craziest thing I've experienced in 2017 in terms of plot. And... I don't want to recommend going on YouTube and watching craziest scenes because they play better in context. But man, it's a game goes places. It goes for it. And uh, finally, um, I know Peter's going to talk about this in a little bit, but I did play some board games. I played uh, Mondo's New The Thing board game. I'll talk about that more a little bit when Peter gets to it. I will be reviewing it for the Cardboard Cinema column here on Slashfilm. I have a lot of thoughts on it, and I, I like it. I'll say that much. I also played Pitch Card, a game I would recommend to uh, more casual gamers, which is essentially Shark Tank for Maniacs, where you essentially have to pitch companies based on the cards in your hand, and it ends up being things like pitching Jurassic Park for Libertarians, or um, Snuggies for Barn Animals, and, you sit, and it's a very clever, very creative game, you got everybody at the table laughing a lot. It's really good. It just, just finished its Kickstarter last year, and copies are just now arriving, but I imagine it'll be more widely available very soon. And... That's my holiday. I'm very sick, by the way. I hope it doesn't sound like it, but I am. <laughs> and and that, that that sounds like a party game for like people that like Cards Against Humanity but want to be more creative. Exactly. Yeah. Like a fun employed in Snake Oil, where it, where it gives you a setup for a joke, but you have to finish a joke. I understand there's a place for Cards Against Humanity. Um, I'm a little over it. I'm a little tired of it because it's not a very clever game. It's just a funny game. Where these, these are games that are funnier because you can add your personal touch to them. So it, if that sounds appealing to you, then go for it. It's a really great game. Okay, so what I did over the weekend, um, last week on the podcast, I talked about how I kind of uh, got sucked back into Survivor this season. And I'm not going to dwell upon that, but over the last five days, uh, my girlfriend and I have binge-watched two seasons of Survivor, past seasons that we had not seen. Um, you know, the, I, I, as I said on the last podcast, you know, I haven't watched this show since like the first couple seasons. So seeing this past season was kind of like an eye opener. And, um, you know, I, I, I kind of enjoy, uh, games of traitors and, you know, like, like, you know, Jacob just mentioned the thing, which I'll, I'll talk about in a second. Um, so Survivor is kind of a, a fun game for me. And I, I, uh, watch two seasons that were recommended to me by Jermaine Lucier, who used to uh, write for the site. Now he's at IO9. Um, he recommended uh, Heroes vs. Villains, which are some of the hot, all-time greatest heroes and villains on that show pitted against each other. Um, and uh, Kagayan, I think is <laughs> the, how you pronounce it, uh, which uh, was an interesting season where they had uh, three teams, the Brawn versus the Brains versus the Beauty. Which, uh, going into that season, uh, spoilers for Survivor, but I had assumed that, um, I had assumed that the Braun would do well because, you know, they're 
physically powerful and can get the, uh, you know, the physical challenges. And I had assumed that the brains would be strong because they could do the puzzles uh, well. And I assumed that the beauty would be knocked out. I was I was wrong on two out of the three of those accounts. Uh, it turns out that nerds are not good at physical challenges and uh, probably not good at uh, being put in, uh, you know, the middle of like an intense situation and having the f- problem solve on the fly. And uh, beauty is uh, the, the the team of beauties <laughs> was was very well at uh, integrating themselves socially into the game. And uh, even if they weren't good at the physical challenges and stuff, uh, uh, you know, being kept around until the end. Uh, but one of the one of the most interesting things about this is uh, I wanted to say, and I don't want to you know talk too much about Survivor, but uh, it's an interesting game because I'm not sure if any, if how many of you guys have seen this but uh you know each week the 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 tribes vote someone out um and in the end it comes down to two or three people and the last eight people that were voted out get to vote on who wins survivor so on a series a season like heroes versus villains there was a guy that like was in control of the game the entire time kicked you know major ass um, you know, was a villain. He was doing evil things. He was blindsiding people. He was, you know, uh, turning on people. And in, in the end, he should have won the show. But because the eight people that vote who wins at the end are the people that he screwed over, the person who wins is, you know, the person that was the most likable person. So it's, it's actually an interesting game because, uh, it's the only game I know that you can lose by being too good at the game. Or Peter, that's actually exactly what happened on the most recent season of Big Brother, which is my reality guilty pleasure. Oh, really? Yeah, the per- the person who was in control of the game the entire time, Paul, who was like master puppeteer, pulling all the strings, getting people voted out, like when he wasn't even in it, the head of household, uh, he went all the way to the end and he lost because he ended- had ended up screwing over so many people and lying to so many people to win the game that they didn't vote for him to win in the end. Yeah, it's it's almost um it's almost as if the game is to be the nicest you possibly can to everybody else, to align yourself with the 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 evil people, but not you know have their slime kind of ick off on you, and in the end be there beside them so that you can you know take the win from them, which is it's interesting. But um another thing I watched over uh, the holiday break was. There's this new show on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us. Brad, have you seen this? I haven't watched it yet. I wrote about it for the site when the trailer came out, but I haven't I haven't got a chance to watch it yet. Yeah, uh, it, it's uh, four episodes, hour-long episodes. Uh, the first episode is about Star Wars, um, and it, it's I, I think it's worth watching. Um, I think it, 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 it it's, it's interesting because they talk to a lot of the people involved, like the people at Kenner, which I never knew, but uh, apparently when you know George Lucas was making Star Wars – he didn't want to uh, get a toy license. Well, I, I did know this. He didn't want to get a toy license uh, early on because he was afraid of you know, designs leaking out. You know, all uh, you know, J.J. Abrams and all the stuff we we we, we hear today. Uh, and um, so, six months before the movie came out, they actually searched for a toy license, and almost all the toy lic- uh, all the toy companies turned them down. Kenner wasn't even a big toy company at the time, and they took it on. And uh, because of that, they were able to uh, – I think the original deal was that they give 
George Lucas, 2.5% of all sales, and 20th Century Fox, 2.5% of all sales, and they kept 95% of all the toy money made uh, by Star Wars. But um, it's kind of the story of uh, Kenner's rise in... um, the toy world, the you know the Star Wars toys that we remember, some of the like you know the the big rare ones. Uh, it, it my I guess my disappointment with the series is that it has the ability to get in depth and in get interesting, but it, at, at times because it's only an hour long, it kind of feels surface level and a lot of the stuff that like if you're a Star Wars fan, you probably already know about that whole story. Uh, but I, I would recommend it. I'm not sure if I'm going to watch the other episodes. There's, I think, episodes on He-Man and Barbie and G.I. Joe. I might watch uh, He-Man because I was I was big into He-Man as a kid, and uh, I would l- like to hear the story behind how those were made. But, um, yeah, so you can find that on Netflix. That is The Toys That, have ma- uh, the toys that Made Us. And I also uh, played some board games, including uh, the, thi- uh, the Thing, Infection at outpost 31 which uh jacob mentioned uh it's enjoyable it's based on the movie the thing you were at an outpost and uh, one of you is infected no one knows which one and that person is trying to sabotage the mission and as the game goes on other people can come become infected um i played it with four players and i felt like it, it, it's a fun streamlined game but um you know, it, it's tough to go into this conversation when, when it's not a board game podcast or something because I, I, I know that, that I'm talking to a, a more generalized audience. But um, usually these kind of games with hidden traders have some kind of randomized element to them where, like, you are contributing supplies and someone can screw up that uh, contribution. But they they usually add, like, a random card in there or something. In this game, that doesn't happen. So uh, what I found, and I'm interested to hear, Jacob, if you, if, if you found this too, is that for the trader, for the person that was infected, it was very hard to to actually screw over the game because the, the, there was almost no time for you to, like, put something in there and lie about it because everybody knew what everybody submitted does that make sense, uh, Jacob? Did you did you have that problem in your game? Uh, I initially thought I would have that problem. I played with five players, and what ended up happening is the unlike most hidden trader games, where the trader is actively encouraged to seek out and destroy and sabotage at all costs, much like the movie. And this is actually my favorite touch of how the game really ca- captures the John Carpenter film really well. Is the, the, the infected player is encouraged to blend in. They could play the entire game actively helping in every single turn and make it a completely conflict-free game, as long as they're on the helicopter at the end and escape the base, the thing wins. So what ended up happening in my game is the thing player blended in so well and was so inconspicuous that all the other players started turning on each other. Things were going too well. Things were going too right. They started not trusting each other and started taking things way too personally and started looking at every single little detail. And when one player had an unfortunate hand of cards where she couldn't help in a, in a very specific task. They all turned on her, even though she wasn't the infected character. Oh, Everything wow. broke down and, and, and fell apart in a matter of turns. And so right, when they went from being like a coasting, coasting the victory to total destruction <laughs> in about <laughs> 10 minutes. And uh, it, it was, it was really good and I really liked it. And I have an interview with uh, Mondo's Jay Shaw. that will go up in conjunction with the review where he talks about how he wanted to make a game that was very accessible for new players, people who weren't heavy board gamers. And I played this with a group who were 
people who had seen the thing, people who hadn't seen the thing, people who had played lots of hidden trader board games, people who hadn't played a lot of them, and everybody walked away having had a good time. Uh, so may, one thing I'd recommend is that I think four may be a, a little too few for this. I would try playing with five or six and place up to eight. I, I think that the more people you have the, around the table, the more fingers you can wave, the more fun it's going to be. Yeah. And I kind of got I, that I, impression. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's oh, go ahead, sorry. No, I I think my my big problem with it, yes, I love how streamlined it is, how accessible it is for new new players. But I do feel like the dominating strategy, if you are an infected player, is to play it like you are not an infected player, and I think that is bad. But I don't know, um, because you know you aren't playing the game. Then <laughs> you're basically just hoping <laughs> that they don't figure you out. But uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's my opinion of the game, and I know you're gonna have a huge write about the write up about this on Cardboard Cinema, so uh, you, you could talk in depth about it then. Uh, but yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, uh, but HT, what have you been up to? So everything I did, I watched over the holidays was in the context of uh, what I saw with my family, which. Um, I went on sort of a short family trip with my mom's side of the family to Asheville, North Carolina, where we spent the whole weekend. Uh, we rented an Airbnb and just kind of went around to a lot of the breweries there, went hiking, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, And I have a couple of younger cousins who I'm pretty close with, and we would just kind of all have a little sleepover in the living room and watch Netflix movies together. So what we ended up watching was a lot of really bad Netflix Christmas movies, um, <laughs> which was a which was a great time. So um, you might have heard of a Christmas Prince, which was this this infamous Netflix film um, that came out just this year. Uh, it's about a a spunky journalist uh, who goes to this um, fictional country called Aldovia to report on this prince who is soon going to be coronated on christmas day and uh, he disappears and eventually they fall in love and uh she does a lot of really unethical journalist things and is a cute quir- quirky clumsy jer- um heroine because she keeps running into vases and everything it's got all the tropes of a bad rom-com but it was so bad that it was enjoyable it was just gushing with all this uh, over sentimentality and bad production design like it looks good but it was obvious that a lot of the drone shots of this castle were of like this gingerbread castle model so <laughs> uh, it was it was it was a fun time and we watched that one on christmas eve eve so the night before christmas eve and then the next night we watched a christmas inheritance which is like the uh, the middle america netflix christmas movie about um a woman who is this rich heiress who goes to um this town that her dad grew up in in middle of nowhere america to learn about the true values of christmas it's also awful of course and um it's actually much worse than a christmas prince because at least a christmas prince was somewhat enjoyable this one was just a little bit i don't know uh heavy-handed in terms of like how its messaging was so that was not as good of a time although we were decidedly drunker for a christmas inheritance so that was okay um and then we did more Netflixing uh, with the rest of the family uh, for Ultimate Beastmaster. Uh, Jacob mentioned it before. I am the person who finally watched it. It kind of he kind of piqued my interest when he was speaking about it in the last podcast. And um, I don't really watch a lot of like competitive uh, 
obstacle course shows. I've seen like maybe a couple clips from American Ninja Warrior, but this was like American Ninja Warrior times a hundred. It's so silly and you so fun and kind of pure hearted in a way. I think Jacob was talking about this earlier. It's just like everyone has good sportsmanship. They just want people to win. And even though it's just like this brute um, physicality about it, there's just like an earnestness to it that's really fun to watch and I watched it with my entire family on my mom's side which is about 16 people and um the smaller side of my family because I talked about earlier having like about 30 on my other side uh so everyone was watching it including my cousins my grandma who got really invested she was gasping every time someone fell and everyone got really into it it was just a it was a fun family bonding moment um and the last thing i did uh since north carolina we drove down there on a road trip it's about a seven hour uh drive down from uh washington dc northern virginia where i am uh, my sister and i uh, went separately uh, went together rather separately from our the rest of our family and um, my sister has been kind of urging me to listen to the Hamilton soundtrack uh, even though I have been adamantly trying to not listen to it until I see the show I'm kind of of the opinion that if I want to see a Broadway show I want to go into it fresh and experience the songs in the context of the story in the show rather than like listening to the soundtrack first and, and like knowing the songs i don't really like that and and, and this this soundtrack is the show right like yeah it is the show and like i know that people that's the kind of the reason people are saying like you should listen to it anyways because you'll just get the whole gist of the show but i want to see it as well as listen to it not just like hear this sort of really good spoken word album in a way so we did listen to it on the way back and i i liked it i knew i would i'd already listened to about half the songs anyway so i guess like the surprise was gone so it was it was a really good soundtrack i've been listening to it again this morning and now yes i'm on board the hamilton train even though i was planning to see it at some point you know whenever it comes to dc i think next year so that was my christmas there's a lot of um watching bad christmas movies with great people uh watching a competitive reality show listening to an old soundtrack that i've been trying to avoid but i enjoyed anyways so that was my holidays chris what have you been up to over the holidays uh i've been doing a whole lot uh on christmas day uh, my wife and I went and saw The Last Jedi. Uh, she hadn't seen it yet. This is my second time seeing it. And uh, it's still good. I still like it. Um, I, I picked up on a few things I didn't notice the first time. I don't, I don't want to go into them because I guess there, there's a chance that some people haven't seen it yet and that'll be spoilers. But I don't know. I remain a little befuddled at the strange backlash to this film. Um, I think it's, it's pretty great. Uh, other than that, I've just been sort of reading uh, i got some books for christmas and uh, my wife's out of town right now she went to massachusetts to visit her family and i stayed here to watch the dogs and work and stuff like that so i've literally just been laying around the house reading and making a uh, effort to avoid looking at my phone when i'm reading because you know part of my job entails that i have to look at my phone you know for news but <laughs> um you know even though i'm i'm looking for entertainment news you know, political news often seeps in there and just makes me miserable. So uh, being able to just put my phone down for a few hours and just read books and not focus on how terrible the world is, it's it's like a uh, it's like going away to a spa. It's very relaxing to just not have to look at that news for a few hours. So if you out there can put your phone down for even like an hour, I recommend it. Have uh, Did you read any good books? 
yeah, I got a whole bunch of books on just, you know, my family, you know, they know I'm into movies, so they always buy me books on movies. And so right now I'm reading uh, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, which is about, you know, the new Hollywood movement of, you know, Scorsese and Coppola and Spielberg and how they, you know, they came in and basically took over Hollywood and destroyed the studio system. And it's great so far. It's very good. Yeah. So that is a fantastic book. I'd recommend that to anybody who, you know, wants to know more about the history of film in modern cinema. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's move on to Ben. Ben, what have you what have you been up to? Uh, I was in Florida visiting my family for the holidays. I went and saw The Last Jedi again, just like Chris. And again, just like Chris, it's still very good. I love that movie. Um, We also watched It's a Wonderful Life, which we talked about on our Christmas uh, movie episode that we put up uh, earlier this week. Um, My wife had never seen It's a Wonderful Life all the way through before. So that was a a first for her. And and just, you know, I'd seen it probably for it was maybe the 50th time I've seen it or something like that. But uh, I just I really like that movie a lot. And for all the reasons that Jacob mentioned uh, so eloquently on our, our Christmas movie episode. So I won't uh, retread those, but it's a great, great film. Um, I watched Logan Lucky with my parents and my wife. And I think my sister and her husband were there. Now, I don't even remember. I, <laughs> it was I was there for I was in Florida for like 10 days or something coming and going with all sorts of. Uh, various mixtures of family members sort of floating in and out the whole time. So uh, Logan Lucky, I thought was a good pick just for like a sort of right down the middle, um, nice breezy family kind of movie that wasn't going to offend anyone or be, you know, any sort of controversial choice in any way. Um, I was reminded of the fantastic Game of Thrones joke that's in that movie that I won't ruin for anyone if you haven't seen it. But man, it is great. It is uh, it is so good. And it's one of those things that I hope is going to make it onto uh, our larger list that we're planning right now of like the best movie moments of uh, of films in 2017. So look for that on slash film.com in the coming days and weeks. Also, I had a chance to see Mudbound, which was the uh, Netflix original movie by D. Reese that I think that played or debuted at uh, Sundance earlier this year. Um, we've had a review up on slash film.com for a long time now, but I'm just now finally making time to see it as I'm sort of getting near the end of the year and, and uh, whittling down my list of the, my favorite films and all that stuff. Uh, Mudbound, I thought was really good. Um, Again, just it's very uh, this is something that I've seen all over the place. It feels very novelistic. It just feels like a book come to life, basically. It, it's a little predictable, but all the performances are really good. Um, and the ending is great. I wanted to mention specifically the Directors Guild of America podcast, the DGA podcast. I was listening to the episode uh, first, I guess, for people who don't know, uh, the DGA has a podcast called The Director's Cut, where um, a director of a movie is interviewed by another director who's a part of the Director's Guild. So the conversations about the movies are always really cool because it's other people who are you know, fans of those movies talking with the directors about how they uh, got those films made, basically. So there's an episode um, on Mudbound with D. Reese, who's the co-writer and director, and uh, Mira Nair, who directed uh, Queen of Katwe last year. I think that was a really good film, too. You should check that one out if you haven't seen it. Underrated, little nice little Disney movie. Uh, in any case, the interview um, basically confirmed that D. Reese is like directly responsible for all of the ways that, all of the reasons that I thought the movie was really good and sort of, uh, I guess, extended itself beyond 
just simply being a translation of a novel. Um, It's sort of everything that that took the movie to the next level. Dee Reese basically says in that interview that she's responsible for adding that stuff because it reminded her of um, elements of her own family life and and things that she'd heard and seen in her past and all of this. So anyway, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the Director's Cut DGA podcast. So if you guys are looking for more film-related podcasts to listen to, listen to that one. And then uh, finally, well, actually two more things. Real quickly, I saw a ghost story last night. Um, again, part of the, the end of the year catch-up. Um, You're doing a lot of Sundance catch-up too. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, I didn't go to Sundance last year, but I will be going for Slash Film this year, some, or I guess beginning of 2018, so I'm looking forward to that. But um, A Ghost Story, man, I was not expecting where this movie goes. And again, I don't want to really uh, give anything away, but it's one that I'd seen a lot of people talking about, and I sort of knew, like, oh, Rooney Mara eats a pie, and Casey Affleck wears a ghost sheet, and that was basically all I knew about the movie. So structurally, I had no clue uh, that this movie basically takes a, a huge turn um, a few minutes, you know, probably halfway or, or a little less than halfway into it. And uh, I was uh, sort of blown away by just like structurally what the movie does. I'm still wrestling with it, whether or not I think it's it's a great movie or anything like that. It also sort of looks like Instagram, the movie, like every shot is <laughs> sort of perfectly composed and, and framed to, you know, and, and the whole thing looks like all the colors are like straight out of an Instagram filter. Um, but it's, it's a movie that I didn't really connect with, um, on an emotional level that I think a lot of other people, uh, probably will and and have. Um, so take that as you will. And then finally, just so I can stop talking, uh, I saw the good place. I, I've been, I realized that this is on Netflix. I've heard so many people recommend the show and my wife and I started watching it. I think we got four episodes in. I, we both loved uh, Parks and Recreation when that was on, and a lot of the same creative people are involved with The Good Place, and you can feel it um, in the best ways possible with with the little jokes and the, just the writing style. Um, the performances are all are pretty solid so far, too, but uh, but really the writing is, is what's selling me on the show so far. Um, I am also from Jacksonville, Florida, and one of the, <laughs> the main characters in the first few episodes uh, is from Jacksonville, and he's like an aspiring EDM. DJ and all of the Jacksonville based humor on there. Jacksonville is, is a city that you don't really see represented too much uh, in film or TV, but all of the jokes, it's it's so clear that somebody on that staff grew up in Jacksonville because the jokes are so specific and so funny. There's one part where um, these characters are, are sort of like hanging out on a dock and they're, they are getting ready to throw a Molotov cocktail at a at a boat and I won't really get into why, but uh, right before the guy hurls the Molotov cocktail, his goofy buddy who's standing right next to him just screams the name Bortles, like right before when Bortles, Blake Bortles is the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars, the football team. But like, there's no mention of that, that, you know, nobody explains that nobody stops to do anything. He's just like Bortles right before he throws it. And it's one of those things that like, if you don't know what that is, who that is, you're going to be like, what the hell did he just say? What is going on here? But it's like, so Jacksonville specific um, that I just, uh, I loved it. So yeah, that's my, whirlwind uh holiday movie and tv watching and let's get to brad who hasn't been around for a while he's been off doing his uh student teaching but he is now back with us what have you been up to this holiday uh season 
Uh, I've just been trying to relax as much as possible for the most part, but I've also been taking the time to catch up on stuff that I missed or hadn't had time to see. So thankfully, I've um, been able to start my path down catching up on award season contenders. Uh, so I saw The Disaster Artist, finally, which I was extremely happy with. I, um, I haven't really been part of the quote-unquote phenomenon that is the room for uh until the disaster artist started getting buzz um this year so i went out of my way to see the room before i saw the disaster artist and i was really happy that i did because it just it provides a lot of context for what you're seeing on screen and it to me i just made it made it funnier uh seeing all of the cameos and who they are playing from the room just made it that much better and they're just these little details that you see, you can see elements that you know they're trying to imply influence the room or why p- certain pieces are in in the room um, based on what happens in the Disaster Artist. But besides that, it's just it's a surprisingly endearing and charming movie. Like this, the the relationship between James Franco and Dave Franco's characters is such like a, for lack of a better term, a bromantic relationship. <laughs> um, you just like I just I love their like their friendship and how like they they hurt each other but they they also really like each other and uh, yeah it was just I, I really I really love this movie even more than I thought I was going to like I thought I was going to love it for being just a great you know comedy and and it is that but it's so much more than I thought it was going to be and I just I loved it. See, <clears throat> I, I was the opposite. I said this last week on the the podcast and I wanted to ask you about this, Brad, because I know it's, it seems like. You loved it more than you were expecting. I loved it a little less than I was expecting. I think what I was looking for the out of this is looking for that same feeling I got with uh, Brigsby Bear this year, which I know is a film you loved, um, which yeah. is also kind of about uh, you know uh, shooting for your dream, creativity, and that, that kind of that kind of uh, theme. Uh, where do you place this? Uh, where do you place it b- between those two films? Um, that's a good question. That's, that's something that I'm, I'm going to be figuring out here soon as I get my top 10 together. I, I still have uh, a handful of movies that I need to see before I really start thinking about that. But, um, that's a good question that I don't have an answer for yet. Um, cause I, th- I think I like them both for, uh, for similar reasons, but then I also like, uh, certain parts more than, than others. Um, and so like without getting too specific, because I don't necessarily want to give away anything that happens in Rigsby Bear um, or anything like that. But, yeah, there's I, I think I like each movie for different reasons. Um, so, I don't know. It's going to be hard to compare compare them when it finally comes down to it. I, I think both will end up making my top ten. But, yeah. And uh, you also saw Molly's Game. I did, yes. I just, uh, just saw Molly's Game a couple days ago. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that even though I don't live in Los Angeles or New York and I'm not part of a writer's guild or a, a critics association that I have friends who work in the industry who do get screeners and bring them home for the holidays. Uh, so I saw Molly's game um, and I definitely enjoyed it quite a bit. However, I will say that I did not like it as much as the social network. And I think part of it is because Aaron Sorkin isn't quite as uh, stylish or engaging as a director as David Fincher is. Um, but there's, there's something about Molly's game that just wasn't quite as, uh, engaging to me. I, I still think it's fantastic, and the script, of course, is excellent because Sorkin just knows how to write, you know, incredible dialogue. Uh, it's an extremely sharp script, but 
I don't know. It's it's similar to the social network in a lot of ways, except that you actually like Molly Bloom as a character, and it's not so much about her trying to prove why she's you know uh, why she has worth or why people should respect her. It's more so about her uh, living up to these expect- impossible expectations, you know, created by her father. And so, like, you identify a little bit more with her and you feel for her as opposed to, you know, the Mark Zuckerberg from The Social Network who is, you know, always kind of this jerk, even though he is doing it as a way of, you know, trying to fit in and, I guess, be important. Um, but it, I just didn't, I don't know, connect with it the same way I did with The Social Network. Uh, it's still great. Jessica Chastain is, is fantastic in it. And uh, there's a very interesting story to be told here. But yeah, I, I still I really liked it a lot, but did not love it as much as Social Network. And then I'm still, like I said, catching up on stuff. So uh, the screeners that I have that I'm going to watch this week here to get my list finished up is the the Post, which I'm extremely excited about because I love Spielberg um, and I love movies about you know important moments in history, especially involving the press like this. Uh, the Florida Project, which if I heard nothing but good things about, that I'm excited to finally see. Um, I, and then I'm also going to see I, Tanya this week as well, which I can't wait as well, um, to see either. I don't think I'm going to be able to catch Phantom Thread before the time comes for me to put my list together, which I'm kind of bummed about. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I've, I've got some time. It, to it wouldn't out. have made your top ten. Peter and I do have very similar tastes, uh, but there there is some divergence here and there. Yeah. And so I, I, I do wonder... Um, where this would would land because we do have a similar taste especially when it comes to what, what we like about paul thomas anderson so um but yeah otherwise i've i finally have had time to dig into just having some fun and playing star wars battlefront 2 which you know i just love because you know being a soldier in the star wars galaxy is just really fun even if you know the game doesn't really improve upon much from the first game and it's just more of the same uh it's just been great to sit down and relax and just check out of everything and you know play a game for a little while that's it's just been incredibly relaxing <laughs> brad let me ask you something about that real quick uh have you been playing multiplayer or the the single player campaign I haven't, I haven't done the campaign yet i've just been doing multiplayer most of the times with, with games like this uh especially call of duty i barely make a dent in the campaign i just like the instant action jumping in and playing for you know 30 minutes to an hour and then being able to just unplug and be like well that was fun <laughs> Yeah, I'm just wondering if you get owned in those games as much as I do, because I feel like, you know, I'm like a competent (laughs) video game player, but especially for something like that that's been out for a little while, and I know you've been really busy, so you haven't been uh, playing it as much as, you know, these kids who come home and just play it nonstop and have like, you know, figured out all these, the little intricacies of the game and stuff. Do you just like get dropped into these multiplayer levels and are immediately destroyed or are you sort of able to hold your own in those? Here's the thing. Um, I'm usually really good at Call of Duty games. Um, but for whatever reason, I, both with the first Battlefront and with the new one, I'm not really that good. Um, I've, it's it's been kind of frustrating because I feel like I'm I, I'm doing everything that I should. I'm not playing stupidly, but yeah, I'm just not having an easy. I don't know if the controllers are slightly different or maybe it's just the um, just the the way you can maneuver is different from how you maneuver players in Call of Duty. I, I'm not sure what it is if it's just, if it's the game itself, um, but I just I, I don't have as easy a time with Battlefront as I do with Call of Duty, and I do find myself dying a lot um so i i have been getting better since i've had time to play now so i I don't know if i just need a little more time to get used to it 
Um, but yeah, I'm definitely nowhere near being as good, and I, I, I get killed so much. <laughs> um, it's all down here from it's all downhill from here, Brad. Uh, my yeah. multiplayer my multiplayer skills went out about maybe three or four years ago. Uh, I, I'm, I can't get back into it. It's gone forever. All single player for me. Well, t- t- tell me this, guys, because I haven't played this game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a good video gamer, but is there like a matchmaking system where it actually pits you against people of your same level of skill, or is it just like a free for all? You go in there and you could be against you know experts or newbies. It's usually a pretty healthy mix. The The matchmaking system that they have in Call of Duty is pretty good. You're usually up against similar uh, skill sets and that kind of thing. But, you know, even then, you're bound to encounter people who are, you know, really good at the game and maybe have just started playing, and so you'll still get your ass kicked either way. Um, but you'll you'll always encounter people who are really good at the game no matter what level you're at. But it's, it's, it's generally not bad uh, as far as matchmaking is concerned. Okay. We, we are running long. Uh, we were going to talk about our favorite gifts we got for Christmas. I'm now thinking since this week is like there's almost no big news this week, if uh, we should just talk about this and call this an episode for two days. We will probably won't have a podcast tomorrow. Yeah, I think that I'm going to make the executive decision. That's what we're doing. So this episode is probably going to be some extra long episode, uh, but uh, you won't be getting an episode tomorrow because uh, the news is kind of uh, uh, slow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, favorite gifts we got uh, for Christmas. I'll start this off. Uh, my girlfriend Ketra got me the Hut Toys life size Baby Groot replica, which is from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. And uh, I was lucky to be on the set of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and I remember uh, the prop master. We were interviewing the prop master, and I asked him, you know, is there any prop, like, uh, he, was, he had some props, uh, he had us, like, we could wear the headphones that, you know, Star-Lord had, and stuff like that, and I asked him, you know, is there any prop in, in, the, in this movie that is going to be, you know, the one that everybody's talking about? And he looks at me, he looks at his walkie-talkie, and he, like, he's like, bring out something, I don't know, he said some kind of code word. I don't know what it was, but then two guys with this briefcase come walking over and they put, place this briefcase in, in front of us and they like unlock it. Like there's these locks. It's, it's almost like it's like important Pentagon documents or something. And they open it up and inside that briefcase was life size baby Groot that they used on the film during each shot. They would use it for lighting and, you know, they would have someone actually like not puppeteering it, but because it's obviously all CG, but so that people could get their eye lines and stuff. And it looked as real as it could possibly look. And I remember holding my hand. I was like, I hope they produce a replica of this because I would love to own, you know, baby groups and uh sideshows, uh, sideshow, uh, has released the Hut Toys version of this. I think Sideshow also has their own version. Uh, the Hut Toys, as you know, makes incredible uh, uh, figures and stuff. And 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 Groot is no uh, no different. It has three different heads. You can put him in his uh, uh, the the outfit that the Ravagers put him in, and uh, it's it's great. I have him sitting next to my life-size E.T. and life-size Gizmo from Gremlins uh, in my living room, and it's uh, <clears throat> it's awesome. Uh, and the other thing I got uh, for Christmas I kind of bought myself is uh, I got uh, my girlfriend, uh, Kitra, a, a uh, cam to watch our, our uh, puppy. Um, so it's like a streaming webcam, and we weren't able to set that up because uh, the internet signal was so 
crappy in our uh, in our place. So I decided to go out and buy a new router. I bought the Google Wi-Fi router system, which comes with like three different hubs, and you can put them throughout your house. And um, I haven't, you know, my my router I think was a Apple Time Capsule, so that's from like what ten years ago, something like that. Um, boy, does the internet speed like go so fast throughout my home now and uh before i had like multiple networks i had a network in my in my bedroom and i had a network in the living room so when you left the living room went to the bedroom my phone was still connected to the living room wi-fi and it like wasn't working then i had to switch it to the other wi-fi now it's all one network i know i'm probably you know Spouting the uh, the virtues of a, a a mesh network when everybody probably already has a mesh network at this point, but it's awesome and I, I recommend to anybody who you know is living in the dark ages of not being able to you know access their Wi-Fi in different areas of the home to to look into this. But I, I, I am really enjoying the Google Wi-Fi router and I'm getting like 300 and something megabits per second download. It's, it's insane. Um, I'm I'm. I'm actually uh, kind of angry at myself for not upgrading sooner. But uh, HD, what what did you get for Christmas? So I got something that I don't think anyone here will really relate to, but I got a ton of Korean skincare, and this is something I'm really excited. What what, <laughs> what what is the difference between normal skincare and Korean skincare? Okay, so Korean skincare usually encompasses about like a 12-step routine uh, in the morning and at night. And it includes things like um, serum, essence, uh, toner, and um, face masks, and all these other crazy things that you wouldn't really expect you need to put on your face. But I find the whole routine very therapeutic, especially at night when you're just kind of trying to unwind. You can just put some music on um, and start doing your face. And it's, I don't really, I don't use makeup at all, but I really enjoy Korean skincare uh, just because of like how therapeutic it is. And especially in the winter when my skin gets really dry, it's a lot of fun. And putting a face mask on and then falling asleep is a, it's just like a great time to me. And um, I haven't gone to the doctor in like a long time now, but Maybe if my insides die, at least my skin will look radiant. So <laughs> that's something that I'm I'm really happy about getting. I just got like five gifts of Korean skincare from my aunts and uncles and my mom and dad and everything like that. And um, a really cute sort of like bunny headband thing that will hold my hair back when I do my Korean skincare. So uh, that one is something that I'm excited for uh, to use. And I also got a... Um, Costco deal uh, sort of movie pass Fandor year long subscription. So this was something that I just started hearing about from like random people who hadn't really heard of movie pass, but they go to Costco a lot apparently. So they were asking me like, Oh, have you heard of movie pass? It has like a year long subscription for like $89.99, but it also includes Fandor, which is the streaming service. Uh, my mom knowing that I love movies so much uh, got me this year long subscription, even though I, kind of already have my own movie pass so I'm going to see if I can sort of streamline it into there or or like cancel my other one uh, because this way I won't have to pay for it so um, this that's really exciting for me because it also includes Fandor and get to stream a lot of films I've hadn't heard of Fandor beforehand but I think it has a good collection I don't know if Chris knows anything about this because of his streaming column Uh, but that one is a 
it apparently has 5,000 um, movies available on the streaming service. So that I think is a good deal uh, in combination with Movie Pass. So those are the gifts that I'm excited for. It's it's not something that like anyone I think listens to will be would be particularly excited for, but I'm just really happy to treat my skin well, even as um, the rest of my body slowly <laughs> dies. I do know this. I tried to use my movie pass on Christmas Day to go see a movie, and the whole app was down. I couldn't, you know, request the tickets. So, uh, you know, they just announced they have one million subscribers now, and it doesn't seem like their system is able to uh, deal with that, especially on a busy day like Christmas. Uh, Chris, how does Fandor stack up against the other streaming services? Do you know? They're good. They're they're more. I guess I use the term art house. They're not as art housey as like Filmstruck, but they're they do have a lot of like niche titles that Netflix doesn't have and Amazon doesn't have. So they're they're a fairly good service. They're it's not like entirely mainstream stuff, but it's 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 a good service overall. Awesome, Chris. What did you get over Christmas? Uh, I got the iPhone X, which kind of made me feel like a jerk because I <laughs> my wife got it for me and. I, I got her, you know, I got her a bunch of stuff, but, uh, you know, the biggest thing I got her was this very nice, fancy coat. And I was like, yeah, this is it. I, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to, I'm going to win Christmas this year by getting her this fancy coat. And then she gives me the iPhone X and I was like, oh, well, now I feel like an asshole for not getting you something this big, but, uh, it's, it's good. I'm not entirely used to it yet. It feels very like fragile in my hands for some reason. It's like, it's very, did, did you have the plus before this? Yeah. Um, and yeah. I don't know, like I found the same thing. Like it's, it's smaller. So it feels like it's going to fall out of my hands. It's going to break. I, I got a case. I, I usually didn't have a case before this and I got a case that kind of bulks it up more and I actually feel better with the case now. Yeah, I might have to get a, a bulky case like that. Yeah, just because it's very, you know, it's it's you know like all glass, so I'm just paranoid that if I just hold it too hard, it's going to like shatter in my hands. But beyond that, I mean it's got like, you know, the photos this thing takes are like high quality studio grade photo it's it, it's kind of insane that it has that good of a camera on it so that was that was the big gift i got this year and ben what what was the gift that you got this year uh i got a bunch of cool stuff but uh the one thing that i wanted to highlight was i got a bunch of board games so hearing you guys talk about board games i've never really been into uh that whole scene i've just never i don't, I don't know why it's not like i'm opposed to it i just never you know, spent the time to buy myself any of these games. Oh, I'm going to so, have to invite you over to the next game night. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. Um, so my wife got me four board games, um, just like out of nowhere. I had no idea she was doing this. I didn't ask for them, but it's, I think it's going to be one of my favorite guests. We have not broken into any of them. So I'm going to run down a couple of those, uh, for you guys and see if, uh, Jacob and Peter, I know you guys are the big board name board game nuts and see if you guys uh, have any good things to say about these. I hope you do. Um, so she was looking for, so basically J- we J- like Jacob this. and I are both now sitting here in fear that you're going to say like monopoly. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, it's not that. Um, 
No. <laughs> no. So we both like to just like sort of stay in and and hang out with each other. So it's a lot of two uh, two person games. So one of them is called uh, Lost Cities, and that looks pretty cool to me. I don't know anything about any of these, so I can't even describe what the gameplay is like or anything. I'm just gonna have to rely on the fact that you guys know more about this stuff than yeah. I do. So, some and... some people say that's one of the best two player games of all time. A lot of people recommend it for couples. Uh, I awesome. have, I've yet to play it. I own it, but I have yet to play it. Very cool. I can't. I haven't played Lost Cities, but uh, Reiner Knizia, the designer, he's brilliant. He's one of the. He's extremely prolific. He's designed hundreds of games. Many of them are garbage, but the good ones are spectacular. Very thoughtful, very fast, very ingeniously intricate. You the kind of games where you play them once and it clicks, and you want to play again immediately. I think you're in for. Even though I can't personally vouch for Lost Cities, I played enough of his other games to say you're in for a good time awesome uh there's one called jaipur i think that's how you pronounce it j-a-i-p-u-r have you guys heard of this one yeah it's good it's 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 a really good it's a good bar game kind of game you want to go sit in a quiet quiet nook and make all the numbers go in your direction i really like it sweet yeah it's supposed to be like a, a quicker thing something that you can just sort of like drop in on real quick if you have a little bit of time to kill so that'll be cool there's one called uh seven wonders duel that um that looks pretty sweet it's another game i, I have not oh. I, I have not played Look. that but i played seven wonders the game it's based on and that is fantastic uh your your wife yeah uh has definitely done some research here into yes, some good yeah. games like it seems like yeah. she she actually knows w- w- was w- wherever she got this information it seems like she she she, she got good intel <laughs> that's good yeah i think she was just like combing through best of lists for for two-player games and just like cross-referencing them you know across the entire internet so uh yeah that, that one looks cool and then the other one uh, the last one um is like a co-op game and it's called codenames duet have you guys heard about this Yes, uh, I've co- the, the vanilla code names is one of the best party games of the past 10, 20 years. It's kind of like kind of it's made by a small Eastern European company. He used to make like these sort of abstract um, games that didn't sell well in the mainstream. But code names is like their new flagship series, and the main game's competitive, and it's you can find it everywhere now. It's a Target now. When it used to like only be in specialty game stores. They, they now make and, like a Disney version of it, a Marvel version of it. So yeah. it's like you know huge. Oh wow! You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with code names. Uh, it, it's a, it's a I've, it's a solid design. Whether you're playing a competitive or a co-op version, uh, and if you like the co- uh, co-op, I would recommend picking up the competitive as well. It's it's I can break the game out for any group of any age, and people have a great time. And so you you have a really good collection going here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited to just like, you know, ha- take a weekend with her and just dive into these things. So it should be cool. Jacob, what did you get over Christmas? Well, about two years ago, uh, my friends helped me build a, a gaming PC and it's been hooked up to my television. Uh, we sort of playing at my coffee table whenever I needed to uh, play a game. But that now I'm in the house where I have my own office, my own space. I actually have been trying to build my own um, actual area to actually have a, my computer situated so hog tv space and thanks to my family and i now have that uh, i had a desk already from moving in my wife bought me a monitor my mom bought me um some speakers my sister-in-law bought me a nice mouse a nice mouse pad my mother-in-law bought me a keyboard it's actually one of those fancy mechanical keyboards i'm actually gonna clack on it right now so you can hear the super i don't know if you can hear that now but it's super satisfying 
clicking noise. Um, so it, it feels really nice in your hands. And so it, it just, nothing like super fans, like nothing like that, that like by themselves will blow you out of the water. But I now have a space, my own personal space with a uh, nice monitor and nice equipment to actually play video games. That So my wife wants to watch stuff downstairs. I don't have to bother her anymore, which is the way it used to be in the past. And it's just, it's a nice thing. Like I said, nothing, uh, nothing is going to blow anyone away. But 2017 was a, one of the best years for video games in a long, long, long time. I know we're a movie podcast, but if you play video games, it's been a hell of a year. So I'm excited to have space where I can really dive into stuff I've been missing. And lastly, Brad, what did you get for Christmas? So the thing that I was most excited to get uh, was this cool book that is the uh, Ectomobiles Owner's Manual. It's designed very similar to like the Owner's Manual f- that you would see for an actual car. The cover even looks like the the old school design uh for these the cars where you see like um a very, like a, a blueprint-esque drawing of the car and inside of it's just a lot of different details about the ectomobile itself and all the different uh features it has and capabilities and just cool images that you've never seen inside as like as far as the detail of the car before and uh how the the team works on everything it also dives into the ecto-1a from the second movie um and the new ecto-1 from uh, the ghostbusters reboot so it's just a cool uh, book for a hardcore Ghostbusters fan like me, and I'd really wanted it for a while and held off buying it to ask for it for Christmas. Um, and so my, my parents picked that up for me. But easily the best Christmas gift that I got was just being done with student teaching and getting my life back. <laughs> it's been so nice just to be able to get back to the schedule that I was used to before and not come home and have all this extra work to do on top of trying to keep up with slash film stuff to the best of my ability. Uh, you know, it was essentially like having two full-time jobs and now it's just, it's nice having my free time back and sleeping in a little bit and having time to go out with my friends, especially those who are here in town for the holidays and just, you know, kind of get back to enjoying being myself again because it was a long three and a half months, you know, with very little time to myself. And so now it's just, I'm feeling much more relaxed and stress-free. Well, Brad, uh, let me speak for everyone in saying that we're glad to have you back on the site in a bigger capacity, and I'm sure the listeners are going to be glad to have you on the the podcast more often now that you are not doing the teaching. Um, I, 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 I know you, you were furthering yourself, but uh, we missed you. Well, I appreciate that, and I thanks to uh, the entire Slash Film uh, team for picking up the slack while I was gone. Uh, for three and a half months and you know not doing nearly as much as i normally would for the site it was uh, a big help to not have to worry about keeping up with a lot of that stuff uh everybody you know pitched in uh in a variety of different ways whenever other people had to step away while i was gone and i was unable to uh you know write as much so it was thanks to the entire slash film team for making that easy for me to accomplish and Welcome back, Brad. <laughs> yes. Hooray! Some uh, of us didn't miss you. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm Brad's great. I'm very happy to have him back, and uh, I, I feel like the Slash Home team's always, always solid. We're always a, a great group, but Brad always does bring a a 
perspective that I always appreciate, and I really do feel like he's been missed, and I'm very happy that he's back. Thanks, yeah. man. We, we've been missing the humor, uh, primarily. The humor and the stupid opinions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anyways, th- this has gone long enough. Um, we are over an hour, uh, so we're going to end it here. Uh, you can find more about all the things that we mentioned today in the show notes and on SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. If you have a question for us, concern, uh, suggestion, you can send an email to the mailbag at peter at SlashFilm.com. That's peter at SlashFilm.com. Uh, please give us a rating and review of the podcast on iTunes. Help spread the word. Tell your friends. And we won't see you tomorrow because we're going to be taking tomorrow off on the podcast. And Monday is also New Year's. So we will see you next time on Tuesday, uh, January 2nd. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.